Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Last week, I asked mission or communities for every mission or community to lead at least one person to Christ in the week. Now, I have awesomely good news because this past week, through you, mission or communities and mission or community leaders, 66 people gave their lives to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me do the math for you. If we, if, we, if we go like this, and this was first trial, so next week it's going to be more. Yes. If we start leading 100 people to the Lord every week through our missional communities, after a year, that would be 5,200 people oh in the kingdom. Yeah. I believe that missional communities are the most effective vehicles for kingdom advancement on planet Earth. I believe it with all my heart. That's why our missional communities are not just missional communities. They are our churches. The missional community in Worship Harvest is the real church. Yeah, the camera that's bringing you the image is not the church. It's the MC, the community of believers, the called out ones. So I want to celebrate all our missional community leaders and your cohort leaders who coach you and pastor you. You are our true pastors. You are our apostles. You are our prophets. You are our evangelists. You are our teachers, MC leaders. Thank you so much. If I had an earthly inheritance I could give you, I will have given it to you. But I don't have that. But God has a heavenly inheritance for you. And I know you have inherited a much bigger crown than an earthly inheritance when you lead a person to Jesus. So thank you. Thank you so much, MCs, for doing that. So we had different locations, actually. Many, many different locations had people giving their lives to Christ during the week. This excludes the Sunday salvation. So, thank you so much. So, let's keep doing it. Let's hit 100 every week until we just depopulate hell. That's the idea. Awesome. Uh, one of our elder couples, uh, elders Chris and Jean Kawesa, have a brand new baby as of yesterday. Congratulations to the Kawesa household. Uh, you are blessed. Your quiver is full of them. And I'm telling you, the Lord is working. Chris loves football, so I think he has found a way of going about building his team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he supports Manchester United, and we all know what happened yesterday. Now, last week we talked about Pardon moi. This tool feels too low for me. Last week we talked about the power of generosity. Pastor B3 came and shared about the power of generosity. It was powerful. Yeah, as always. When she speaks, it's powerful. Yeah, that's what it is. So, the power of generosity, and I told you I would come back today and share with you different ways you can practice generosity. Different ways you can practice generosity. So I'm going to share with you maybe five, six, seven different ways you can share, you can practice generosity. Because I don't want you to end at knowing the thing, I want you to do it. So I'm willing to go into the details to make sure that you understand what you're doing, all right? So the first one I want us to share about is the tithe. Tithing is one of the ways you can practice generosity, especially generosity with God. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10% of one's income given to the church for ministry or kingdom advancement. Tithe is how God funds his work. All right? So that, that's, that's about the tithe. The tithe is 10% of your income, income, not net worth, income, that you give to the church, okay? Not to any other cause. To the, the tithe goes to the church because the church is the body of Christ. Okay? When you want to give to other causes, that's called generosity. And your generosity starts with the 90%. The 10% is not yours. All right? Let me tell you a couple of stories of tithers 
whose lives were changed and who changed the world because of this principle of tithe. The first one I'll tell you is Pastor Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in uh, Orange County, California. When Rick, uh, when Rick Warren and his wife started the church, Saddleback, that was the year 1984, they started immediately to tithe because they were the pastors. They were tithing in their church. And they made a covenant with God that they would increase their tithe by 10%, uh, no, by 1% every year. So if you think about it, 84 was 10%, 85, 11, 86, 12. In 1986, they were at 12%. 87, 13, 88, 14, like that. So they kept doing this, honoring God with their increasing tithe, all right? And then in the year 2004, Rick Warren happened to write a, a, a guidebook which they were using in their church for help, helping people go through a series they called the 40 Days of Purpose. So out of the 40 Days of Purpose, he happened to write what was supposed to be a book for their church called The Purpose-Driven Life. Okay? Now, when the book came out in 2004, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for over 90 weeks. Over 90 weeks. How can a book be on the New York Times bestseller list for almost two years? Non-stop. Every week it was a bestseller for over 90 weeks. One book, one idea. Some of you, you have hustled too much in life. And God wants to give you one idea that can solve the poverty problems of in your family to five, six generations ahead. Because that's what happened with Rick and, and Kay Warren. By 2008, it had sold over 18 million copies. Now go do your research and find out how, how people sell books and how many copies they sell. This was a Christian book. It was supposed to be a guidebook for a church to go through a series. 18 million by 2008, only four years later. By the end of its first decade, yeah? No, actually it was 2002. By the end of its first decade, in uh, 2012, the book had sold 32 million copies. As of today, the purpose-driven life has sold more than 50 million copies in more than 85 languages. Now, <coughs> oh, let's, let's say the book was selling like $10 a copy. One idea, one, can solve. <laughs> you see, we are too canoe. We think too much the thoughts of man and the methods of man and how you have organized your budget, what, how you barely make it through, squeeze through. That's not God's will for you. God has set up a superior economic system for you to thrive and prosper. The economic system of the world is built on the system of buying and selling. The system of the, king, the kingdom of God is built on the system of sowing and reaping. Okay? Buying and selling is how the world operates. And since you are in the world, but not of the world, you have to buy and sell. You have to come up with products. Otherwise, you're going to be here praying and getting nothing. But once you get your buying and selling going, you have to now overlay the world's economic system you're operating in with the kingdom system. That's why you're a man of God. What makes you a man of God is that you're still a man. Yeah, so if you abuse your body, you will go away to heaven quickly. But you're a man of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John was Elizabeth's son. So you could say, no, 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 no. The man came out of Elizabeth's womb. That's one, only one part of the story. The other part of the story is that he was sent from God. So your business is is in the world and you have to buy and sell but that's one side of the coin when it comes to your economics 
There is another side of the coin when it comes to economics called sowing and reaping, which far supersedes the economic systems of the world. So that's Rick Warren. Wow. So what happened is this guy and his wife, they went back to the church and first gave back all the salary the church had paid them from 1984. They refunded all the money to the church. Then they set up incredible organizations to advance the Gospels. When people think about uh, Saddleback, they don't know that in the first 10 years only, Saddleback Church had planted more than 400 churches. Yeah. And then they started reverse tithing. They started giving to God 90% of their income and only using 10%. May that happen to you all the time. Another story is William Colgate. In 1806, William Colgate, I'm sure you saw his name this morning in your bathroom, all right? How many people lived in the 1800s whose names are in your bathroom, are in your household today? Barely any. In 1806, eight, I'm talking about 1806, which, this is when he started his business, meaning he was born in the 1700s. By 1806, he was in, he's in, in, in his 20s. That means he was born in the 1700s. William Colgate was born in the 1700s. In 1806, he, he set up a starch, soap, and candle business in Manhattan, New York, on Dutch Street. Colgate was a tither throughout his long and successful business career. He gave not merely one-tenth of the earnings of Colgate soap products, earnings, not just his personal income from the business, the earnings of the business, the business earnings. This is an instruction to some of you business people. He gave two-tenths, then three-tenths. Imagine you're running a business, like powerful living or home-baked. And we are not talking about when the business has paid your salary, then you tithe or you give. No, no. We are talking about the business gross profit after you've taken care of business expenses. Gross, this is Colgate. Gross profit of his business. He first tithed 10%, then two-tenths, three-tenths, five-tenths. That was of the business. It is reported that of his personal income from the business, he gave 90% and only used 10%. He annually subscribed money to assist the Hamilton Literary and Theological Institution, which was later renamed Colgate University in 1890 to honor him. He, su he supported missionaries abroad. He did incredible stuff. What has happened to Colgate? His name is still on earth today. 230 years after he was born, 240 years after he was born, Colgate is proudly being meditated upon you twice a day if you are hygienic. Every day, you have to look at his name in the morning and you have to look at his name in the evening. How many people have worked so hard to self-promote in this world? Nobody able to every channel available because you are trying to get your name to be noticed a little bit. This guy has been dead 200 years and you can't avoid his name. Simanyi, am I talking at all? Even my amen team here has gone quiet. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, if you're here, you are here for the amen. This is the power of being generous with God. This is a funny story, but I just included it. It's not like out of this world, but it's so funny and true. So this is from Pastor Enoch Adeboye, the general overseer of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. He says, sometime ago, somebody gave me some tablets of soap. Watch what he says. Normally, I give tithes of all things that come in for me. This guy tithes everything. If you give him soda, he's going to tithe. So I gave tithes of the soap. About a month later, everybody began to give me soap. As if they decided that this man should have something to wash with. It came to a stage that I had enough soap to open a supermarket. 
for the warrior, we did not buy soap. Soap. Tell your neighbor wherever you are that I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. We're going to change this world, people. We are going to, su- to superimpose the economy of heaven on earth using heaven's methods. We are. And some of you may abuse us all you want. We will not stop. We, we don't want to be broke like you. We are going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So in this story, Abraham had come from fighting four, five kings, is it? And he had walloped them. That was Abraham. And so he was coming back with the spoils and on his way back home a guy called Melchizedek of which the Bible says without genealogy, without father, without mother being the priest of God the most high came out and met Abraham and he had bread and wine. What does bread and wine represent? New covenant. What did Jesus give the disciples when he was enacting the new covenant? Bread and wine. Some of you who ignorantly claim that tithe is an old covenant principle, you need to understand the law of first mention. The law of first mention, according to all biblical scholars, says that every interpretation of scripture in the Bible must be subjected to the first time it appears in the Bible. And this is the first time tithe appears in the Bible. Tithe doesn't first appear in the law. Tithe doesn't first appear in the life of Israel. Tithe first appears in the life of Abraham, your father. Because if you are Christ, according to Galatians 3.29, then you are Abraham's seed or descendant and heirs according to the promises. It first appears when in your father's story. So anyway, Melchizedek, who represents Christ, that's what he says in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, comes out with bread and wine. New covenant. And what does he do? Take me back. He says, yeah, right there. He says, and he blessed him. He blessed Abraham and said, hey, are we going to finish this today? Hey! My goodness, my goodness. Remind me to say something about the said. Blessed be Abraham. Now, Melchizedek blessed Abraham before Abraham did anything. That's how the new covenant works. If you are in Christ, you are already blessed, according to Ephesians 1, 3, with every spiritual blessing in the very places in Christ. We don't tithe to be blessed. No. No, 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 no. God is not like that. We tithe because we are blessed. Because we are blessed. Melchizedek pronounced the blessing on Abraham before Abraham could do, did anything. So he says, bless Abraham of God most high. And then he mentioned something to Abraham that completely changes Abraham's status in relationship to God. He called him a possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham is still on earth. He had never been to heaven. Melchizedek told him, we Ibrahim. That's why you're going to heaven when you die, if you're in Christ, because Christ is Abraham's seed. That's why when Jesus was telling the story of Lazarus, who was in the third heaven in paradise, it was Abraham, because Abraham, long before Christ was resurrected, possessed heaven. Not only that, he also possessed earth. It says, blessed be Abraham of God, but I possessor of heaven. And earth. That's your, that's your inheritance. That's why he says in Ephesians chapter 2 that he has made us, he has raised us up together with him, and he has made us sit together with him in the heavenly places in Christ. A lot of Christians are anxious about whether they are going to heaven or not. When for us, we already went. 
in our spirit, we are already in heaven. The day you shed that body, if you're in Christ, you will instantly be present with the Lord. That's what Paul says, that for me to be present, to be present in the body is to be absent from Christ, and to be to die is to be present with the Lord. All right. So, blessed be Abraham of, of God most high, who is the possessor. Possessor. Of heaven and earth. Melchizedek pronounced the resurrection upon Abraham before Christ died and was raised. Some things are spiritual. And when you judge them with a kind of mind, even the devil laughs. So, so see what he says. Possess of heaven and earth. And then he says, and blessed be God most high. That's why those who think the possession of the end and earth is about God, it's not about God. That's why he would, he's not repeating himself. And he says, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what did Abraham do in response to the blessing? He gave a tithe of all. How do you acknowledge that God has blessed you? You give a tithe of all. Your tithe is the signing of the delivery book. You know when DHL sends you something with a border guy? They are going to send a delivery book. If you refuse to sign that delivery book, when they've sent you a camera, yeah? Because you are maternal and you're, you feel like you're too important to sign. They will not give you that camera even if it is your camera. You're required to sign the delivery book as acknowledgement of receipt. Now, a lot of the children of God who are listening to me, some of them in worship service, all your wealth is still being withheld by heaven because you've jumped to sign the delivery book. You've decided you're more clever than God. Let me ask you, does your economic situation look a little bit like that of heaven? Until that happens, just know you haven't signed the delivery book. Sign the delivery book. Heaven is tired of holding your money. That's why the gold is on the streets. The storage is full. Now it's on the streets. Why is it on the streets? Because the people for whom it's meant here on earth are still trying to be clever. Hey, hey, hey. Let's do this. So, how do you tell God, thank you, I receive the blessing, your tithe? That's how they hear that you've said thank you and that you're receiving that. That's how they can hear your tithe. I've been tithing since campus. I used not to tithe. I used to argue against tithe. I used to be so. You know when you're so, thank God in those days there was no social media. Because now you would go take all my postings and you'd be like, Katidabono. By the way, so sorry, Makere University, the Ivory Tower caught fire last night. We are praying for them, for the Vice Chancellor and everyone, that they will get through this. So I had these friends, Patia and Gabriel, who were tithers, and they were always bailing me out financially. Me, I was the one with the argument, they were the ones with the results. Someday I had to accept. All right. I told you I would tell you something about Said. Wow, my studio audience is not is not is not talking to me. Wherever you are, stop and listen to this. The blessing is not money. The blessing is not money. Melchizedek didn't give Abraham money. Money is so insignificant in the larger scheme of things. In the economy of heaven, money is the lowest thing. Abraham blessed, rather Melchizedek blessed him and said, 
When you find a spiritual authority who can say something to you, that's why you should read your Bible because in your Bible God is saying. When you find a spiritual authority who can say a thing to you, just know that every single word they speak, they are speaking over you is worth more than billions of shillings. Because he just said a few things here that changed Abraham's life. And Abraham, just get 10% of this stuff and let's give it to this guy. <laughs> because some of you, you go and say, I-, I blessed someone with some money. No, you gave. Yeah, you gave. <laughs> Not everyone has authority to bless, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you need to be understanding in your giving whether where you're giving there is authority to bless or not. Because some of you insist my tithe is going to go to the street children, to the people in need, it is, which is good. He who gives to, to the poor lends to the Lord. But that should be with your 90%. Because those people don't have authority to bless. One word from your parents is worth. One word from Uncle Ben to me is what changed the life of this church. One word. That's why we have, we are committed, committed to honoring and blessing Uncle Ben and Auntie Joy all the days of their lives on earth. One word. <laughs> Who has authority to bless you? Let me continue. He blessed him and said, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh took over the whole economy of Egypt. Before Jacob came to Egypt, Pharaoh was just a king with military and government authority, but no money. After Jacob blessed him, he, everything belonged to Pharaoh in, in quick fashion, quick fashion. And yet his own children were dying of hunger in Canaan because instead of blessing their father, they were just trying to kill their brother. Give me Hebrews 7, 1 to 3, and then verse 7 to 8. Are you being blessed? I can confirm right now without any contradiction and, and uh, uh, doubt that we will not finish this message today. <laughs> yeah. Hebrews 7, 1 to 3 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, yeah, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. How did Melchizedek bless Abraham? Did he give him anything? Nothing. He spoke words. Spiritual capital is much higher than financial capital. Unfortunately, some of you are so tied up in the world's system. You think money is everything. No. No, 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 no. Money cannot save you. Where were we? From the sort of unblessed him, uh-huh. to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Remains a priest continually remains a priest. The priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal. That's why Christ, of, of, of whom it is written, says he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Give me verse 8 to 10. Seven to, seven, seven to eight. 
He says, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Who had the money? Abraham. Melchizedek only had bread and wine. How, how can you claim that he was better? How can the person with the money be the lesser? Mm. You see, it depends on your capacity to see. When your spiritual eyes are closed, there are things you can't see. He says the lesser is blessed by the better. Yeah, the guy with bread and wine is better than the guy who has booty from four kingdoms. How? You see, you may have more money than your father and mother. Who bore you? Never. Never. Ever. Ever. Imagine that you're better than them. You are the lesser. They may live in the village. They may not have much. You are the lesser. That's the heaven, that's the order of heaven. And you need to be blessed by the better. You may have more stuff than your spiritual parents. Who is your spiritual parent? Your spiritual parent is a person who either brought you to Christ or who released you into ministry. Because in the course of walking this life as a Christian, sometimes you don't know where things are going to go. So it's not wise to actually be too quick to say so and say my spiritual father or whatever it is. No, no, no. Take your time. You have 10,000 instructors. Take your time. There is, there is enough teaching around. But when a person releases you into your destiny, into your calling, into your ministry, and births you into a place where you also can start reproducing spiritually, that is surely your spiritual parent. And it doesn't matter how much better you are than them. You are the lesser. Okay, let me continue. <laughs> Woo! How do I how, how do I even finish this message? How do I even? Says here mortal men receive tithes. But there, talking of who? Of Christ. He receives them. When? Now. Where? Where is there? In heaven. Of whom it, it is witnessed that he lives. He was resurrected and he is in heaven and he lives and he receives tithes. How? When you give to the work of ministry. That's how he receives them. Don't try throwing your money into the sky and telling God, just keep whatever is yours. Now, let me tell you something here that I saw as I prepared this. Tithe is the witness that he lives. Tithe is your witness to the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to prove this shortly. Why? Because when we tithe, we are advancing the witness of the message of his resurrection. What was the instruction Jesus gave his disciples in the book of Acts? It was that they were witnesses of his resurrection. When we preach the gospel, we are continuing that same message. We are witnesses of his resurrection. That's why tithe is the main way God funds the witness of his resurrection. And when you tithe, you are being a witness of resurrection. That's why he says, he receives them, the tithes, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So, refusing to tithe speaks of our unbelief in the fact that there is something called eternal life and that most people haven't acquired it yet. It means you you actually, your belief in heaven, life after death is just mental ascent. It's not really there if you are not a tither. 
Leviticus 27, 30 to 33. So you say, ah, can't I give my tithes to other causes? Okay, let's look. And all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Holy means separated. It is holy. It is set apart to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. That was in the law. Yeah, if you first used it for something else, like if you don't give it first, because tithe is not just 10%, it's the first 10%. Then you have to bring 12.5%, not 10 Now, and concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, or whatever passes under the road, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. Continue. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad. Nor shall he exchange it. You will not say, ah, ah, the situation now is complicated. Let me first use this money for this thing. When they pay me next week, that is even better money. It's better money. Yeah? Then I will cover up the tithe of what? Of this week. No, 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 no. No, sir. And if he exchanges it at all, watch this, watch this. Then both it and the one exchanged for it shall all be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Child of God, here is how to live happily ever after in the kingdom. Trust and obey. Stop advising God. You see, God has too many advisors. He wrote a whole book with 66 books. So many authors over a 6,000 year period. But advisors abound. Okay, 4,000 year period. Four, 3,000. Yeah, so should I use my tithe whichever I desire as long as I'm giving? No. Why? First of all, it's not yours. <laughs> the tithe is not yours. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Yes. Yeah, the money that's really yours is the 90%. Now, you can disagree. That's okay. It's not yours. Your majority life partner, who is God, who should be taking even more percentage? You know, imagine you start business with God, Timo. Says, Timo, let's do this business. He gives you the idea. Yeah? He gives you the connections. He creates the peaceful environment in which you can do business. You see, if you go to Syria, Syria right now, you can't do business. He gives you all these things. Then he says, okay, you know what, B3? Just give me only 10%. Like, I deserve 90%, but just give me 10 And then you first chew your 90 and even his curtain, you also chew it. You are like, you know you will understand. Meanwhile, he's asking for 10% to try and give eternal life to more people. To bring more children to himself. But you've refused. Matthew 23, 23. What do you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So some of you are like, ah, ah, this whole tithe thing, uh, there are more weightier matters, justice. It is, yes. Yeah. Don't do injustice. Don't steal to tithe. Don't extort money from people tithe. Don't underpay your workers so you can tithe. Don't delay to pay your workers so you can tithe. No. You have to live justly. And Jesus said, having done all of that, you should still tithe. There is nowhere in the scriptures where Jesus teaches against tithe. Think about that. Many times says, you have heard it said this, this, but I say. You have heard it said this, this, but I say. Never did he talk about against tithe. Why? 
So that was module one, tithe. We have six. We have six modules. Without contradiction, we will be back next Sunday to do the other, some of the others. I want to do three, so we have three left. The others are less heavy. Two, fast fruits. A fast fruit is a whole fast. It is a whole fast. A fast fruit is a whole fast. In 2014, we gave fast fruits for the first time. It was my salary. It was about 3.2 million, I think. About 3 million. In uh, February, beginning of February, because we decided to take the whole fast salary of the year and give it, and we are giving it to Arise and Build. Let me first clear up any confusion that may exist. If you have fast fruit and you want to give it, give it to the church where you go. That's where you have spiritual parentage. If you attend another church, don't send fast fruit to worship service. Send it to your local church. Just like the tithe. Because the tithe is a kind of fast fruit. It's a kind of... I, I don't believe it is the fast fruit. It's not. That's why in the Old Testament... There is very clear teaching about fast fruit alone and tithe alone. They, don't, they never confuse them. So we give our fast fruits about 3.2 million. And by the February of the next year, we had built the first phase of our house and entered it. People had hunted us down and given us more than 60 million shillings, just giving. In addition to our work, which flourished so much, for us to be able to start a building project, get to a point where we could enter and live in the house. In only six months, from July, okay, seven, July to January, first weekend of February, we entered the house. There are other couples who did the same action with us that we know about, and all of them live in their houses today. One couple had a very bad debt situation. The way they managed to pull down their debt to clear like 90% of their debt in a short time was by giving fast fruits. Where does the Bible teach about fast fruits? Many, many places. If you go to the law, it's very explicit. But you'll say that's the law. So let me quit the law. Cain and Abel, they practiced fast fruits. And I'm going to share with you something there. They practiced fast fruits. How did they know? Yeah, because Abel gave of the fastlings or the first fruit of his, of, of his offering. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was a fast fruit. Uh, Abraham didn't tell God, can I give you Isaac? piece by piece. No. He had to give the whole son. And moreover, remember, here, here is why Isaac is a first fruit. Abraham didn't have ten sons of which the Lord asked for one. No, he had one and God asked for that one whole. Jericho, the city of Jericho, it was the first city in the promised land. And a gentleman called Achan thought he could outwit God. After very clear instructions to Joshua that everything in Jericho is mine. In KJV they say it is accursed, meaning it is holy, it is set aside, it belongs to God. Do not touch. Hot, too hard to handle. That's your first fruit. It's too hard to handle. Don't touch it. Achan touched. Very bad ending for him and his whole family. King Solomon practiced fast fruit. After the first order of business when he became king was to go up to, I'm forgetting the place, where they made offerings. They didn't have the temple by that time. And he made 1,000 offerings in one night. And God came and said, 
dude, what do you want? Has God ever come to your bedroom, sat on your bedside and said, what do you want? <laughs> Christ is a type of first fruits. The Bible doesn't tell us that God has many children. It says he gave his only begotten son that he might get sons and daughters back. First fruit is, it points to Christ. Even tithe, by the way, points to Christ. I didn't have time to tell you. But in, in, the, in the tithe situation, uh, in the tithe situation, I need two quick movers. Can I get two quick movers? Without masks. So in the tithe situation, you have Abraham, you have Melchizedek. Uh-uh. These are greater by way of age and, uh, and uh, experience Height. in the ministry. And having gone to Gaza high before her. Yes. Anyway, so too many things. Yeah. So Melchizedek, Abraham. So when Abraham is coming from the slaughter of the kings, Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. Now, in Melchizedek is Christ the priest. Remember? Christ is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So in here is Christ. Now, in Abraham is Christ the son. Matthew 1.1. You should know the first verse of the New Testament. Says the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Says in Galatians 3 that he says, and to seed as of one, not seeds as of many, talking about Christ who is the seed of Abraham. Okay? So in Abraham is Christ the son, in Melchizedek is Christ the priest, Christ the son. Why is this? Remember, Christ the son of Abraham is a son by adoption. Because Joseph wasn't Christ's dad. Okay. So Christ the son is walking in Abraham's loins yes. Yes. and comes and Christ the priest pronounces a blessing upon Christ the son. That's, and listen, 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 listen. And calls him possessor of heaven. That's why Jesus could not stay in the grave. Yes. That's why it is. Of, which, of whom it is witnessed that what? He lives. And Christ the son gives Christ the priest a tithe to acknowledge the blessing and to anticipate the resurrection. You can go and see. Mind blown. Now you, you are there still arguing about your little money. You don't even know that you are part of a much bigger cosmic battle that has been raging for millennia before you showed up with your few Uganda shillings. So I, they will need to crop that out and paste it in the tithe section. We are talking about fast fruits. There's a very interesting story. Inter sad, but interesting. In the book of Acts. Because this is, Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's now the grace season. We are in the grace dispensation. In comes Ananias and Sapphira. They, they sell property. They are bringing a fast fruit and they decide that they are going to cut up their fast fruit into two parts. And they died. Why did Ananias and Sapphira die? Is God that mean? Did God need their money that badly that he killed them? I do not believe for even for a minute that God killed Ananias and Sapphira. They defied a kingdom principle that is so close to the heart of God. It's a bit like when you jump off the building and you, you die, cuts of gravity. You can't say God killed you. You jumped. 
Genesis 4, 3 to 7. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. Say angry. Angry. And his countenance fell. So he looked like he was in a bad mood. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Dude, and why has your countenance fallen? Why are you in a bad mood? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, you know what to do. Some of you know what to do. Have you done it? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. What did he do instead? He went and killed his brother. Okay, I don't have enough time to go through all of this, so I will just point out the key facts. So, these people knew that they had to give a fast fruit offering. How did they know? Because it says, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock, KJV says, of the firstlings of his flock, and of their fat. I want you to see the word there. I'm a Bible teacher, so I know that people miss details often. He didn't say of its fat. He didn't bring one firstborn sheep. It was, he collected all the firstborns and came and offered. That is of their fat. Now, how do we know? How did Cain tell that his offering had been rejected and Abel's had been accepted? It's not like God came out of it and said, Abel, Abel. In whom I'm well pleased. Thine offering maketh me happy. Hey, Cain, Cain, Cain. What's going on here? Here is the clue. We can tell from this clue. He was angry and his countenance fell. How, how, what on earth makes people's countenance fall and become angry? It's one word. Envy. Yeah, envy. He started seeing the results of his brother. Yeah. And like, we all wake up early. We all work hard. We have the same parent. Why is this fellow outpacing me this much? He, he, he could see from results that somehow God had taken the other guy's thing different from his. And out of envy, killed his brother. How you can tell it's the result. It's the result. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And what will happen? So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's the result. It's always the result. Romans eleven sixteen. Here is the importance of the first fruit. For if the first fruit is holy, the lamp is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. I told you Christ is a kind of fast fruit. It sanctifies the 90% that's left. Christ is the ultimate fast fruit. When he was planted, his resurrection has ensured that all those who believe will get a resurrection. In fact, God is so ahead of the curve that he's not waiting for us to be raised to say we have been raised. He said, we have already been. Such is the assurance God has in his first fruit. He has no doubt we will ever be raised. So he says we have we already seated in the very places. That's why we say tithe is a witness to the resurrection and the non-tither is a non-believer in the resurrection. First Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen as first fruits of those who have fallen. Now Christ is risen, first fruit of those. If you believe that you're seated with him in the heavenly places, your witness to that belief is your first fruit and tithe. Let me finish today by talking very briefly about offerings. If you're on Spirit FM, we'll be going off air soon. We bless you. Thank you for tuning in. May God bless you abundantly. May he cause his face to shine on you. 
May he give you peace. May he give you wisdom on how to implement instructions concerning this message that's going to propel you deep into the future until you see joy and success in every area of your life. And if you are not born again, today is your day of salvation. Today is your day of salvation wherever you are. Just stop and say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Take my life. Do something significant with it. Amen. If you pray that prayer, you're born again. Now let me finish about offerings with the people who are online, who are not on radio. 2 Corinthians 9 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when it comes to giving, offering, you must purpose in your heart. You must, there is a, 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 a couple here. There are some of our senior leaders in worship service. They purposed in their heart. Every time they stepped into their location, they gave offering for both services. Of each one hundred k. These are the pastors. By the way, I, I can tell you this without any fear of contradiction: the worship harvest pastors are the most generous pastors in the world, yeah. and the worship harvest pastors are the biggest givers inside worship harvest. Take that as a challenge if you are not a pastor and do something about it. How can the people who are ministering to you the word also be the ones who are out giving you? It puts you in a difficult position. It's like if Melchizedek starts giving Abraham some sheep, Abraham is going to be like, hey, hey, hey. Anyway. So one, you must purpose in your heart to give. And you should never be coerced. Never be coerced to give. Because once it's coercion, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's not an offering. That's uh, an extraction. It's a tax. Yeah? Hey! 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 Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of tabernacles. And then he says, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Yeah, like this service, wherever you're watching us from, do not. Don't just shut down without being, bringing an offering. It's not right. Yeah, it says in verse 17, every man shall give as he is able. Don't give what you don't have. God doesn't expect you to be faithful with what you don't have. He expects you to be faithful with what you have. As he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Uh, The responders, you need to come now. So the Jews have been practicing these principles for millennia. Is it any wonder that they are where they are economically? Is it any wonder that on average, the Jewish children of God are the, mo- are the wealthiest by a stretch compared to all other nationalities? It's not even like these ones are here, then these ones are a close second. No, no, no. Those ends on average, because there are some nations that have people that are wealthier than Jews. But those are as a, as a people. They are those ends, and the next people are those ends. Someone will bring me a hand out Some rewards cross generations. God blessed Isaac and Jacob because of Abraham. God favored Solomon because of David. Some of you, God is going to do incredible things for your children because of your faithfulness to him. And some of you, you're saving through life because of the faithfulness of your ancestors how they served God, how they loved God, how they gave to God, how they built churches, how they gave land to build churches, how they funded, how they served the priests. That's why I keep telling every worship harvest person, go back to your village, find a church that preaches the gospel and help the pastor there. Amen. I can hear the sound of a new generation.
Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.